Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast, and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi, that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. If uh, you have a copy of God's Word, turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1 is uh, where we will be this morning, and we are, uh, over the next two or three months... We are going to uh, spend some time walking through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. I titled the series, as you just saw in the intro video, Prophet, Priest, and King. We will walk through this book. And we will see the close of one season in the history of Israel. That is the season of the judges. And we will see a new season ushered in, um, that is, that of the kings. And uh, over our time, the next few weeks, a couple of months, we will see King Saul, and then we will see King David come to throne and uh, be used by God. This morning, I titled the sermon uh, with these words. I titled it, A Proper Response and an Answer to... Adversity. A proper response. We're going to see Hannah. I'm going to introduce you to Hannah, and we're going to see Hannah respond to some adversity in her life, and we're going to see God answer in the midst of that adversity. If you have a copy of God's Word, look in verse 3. I'm going to read from verse 3 down through verse 20. And as I read, I want you to think about a couple of things, okay? What's happening? It's always a good thing, right? Try to figure out what's happening. What's God doing? And as I read, God speak and work in me. Okay? Here's God's word. Now this man, we'll see his name in just a second. This man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, or Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah, some might pronounce it Elkanah, but Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peneah, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 7, so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, 
Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor, no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we uh, spend the next few moments in this passage, as we look at this narrative, we see this episode in front of us this morning, I pray this, God, you would speak, we would hear, and Father, we would obey. I ask it in Christ's name, amen. Over the next few moments, I want to share with you three distinct points from this adversity. The first is this, pray, pray, take the issue to the right person. If you look there in verses six through 10, you see the issue that is brought up. The the issue of the whole text, the issue of this, this episode, this narrative, this story is this, that Hannah was barren and maybe that's huge in your life. Maybe that's very minute in your life. But in that day and time, it was astronomically huge. Because a woman being fertile, a woman bringing about individuals, babies, boys and girls, meant a couple of different things. It meant that family would continue to the next generation. It meant that there would be much work in that family. It meant that there would be some food in that family because they would have more opportunities for individuals to be working. It meant life. So Hannah found herself barren, and we see that it is from the Lord. The Lord is the one who was doing this. The Lord is the one who closed her womb, verse 5 states. But in verses 6 through 10, we see that Hannah took her issue of barrenness to the right person. But you might look at this and look at passages like this, and let me just spend about... 30 seconds this morning stating this. You might look at this and say, well, man, why does Scripture speak or not speak? Why does Scripture bring about multiple wives, multiple marriages? As I was studying this week, I came across um, Robert Alter. And uh, Robert Alter is a Hebrew scholar at the uh, University of Berkeley, and he states this about this narrative. 
throughout the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, polygamy is never depicted in a positive light. Over and over again, it's seen as a disaster for families and especially for women. Therefore, anyone reading the Old Testament and thinking it supports polygamy simply hasn't learned how to read a text yet. If you want to see polygamy is a disaster, it is a terrible idea, if you want to see that, all you have to do is read the Bible. It never brings that out as a positive. In this passage, we do see that uh, Elkanah has two wives. One of them hates the other. She irritates her. That word, irritate, there in verse number 6, her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her. That, That word, irritate, is also used like this in the sound or the roar of a hurricane or a tornado. That is what was happening in that house. That is not a good thing. Amen? She used to irritate her and provoke her. But Hannah took her issue to the right person. Second point that we see this morning is this, out of this passage, there also in verses 6 through 10. A second point, pray. Doing the right thing doesn't mean life is going to be easy. Pray. Doing the right thing does not mean that life is going to be easy. You you and I need to look at a couple of things here in this passage. Hannah's prayer was not to smite her rival down. Hannah's prayer wasn't, uh, hey Lord, please puff me up and allow my my family to continue, so give me a son for the next generation. That's not her prayer. Hannah's prayer was to advance God's name, to advance God's fame and His kingdom in His gift. If God would grant this prayer, His gift of a child to Hannah, she would devote Him back to God. She says, hey, He will be a Nazarite for life. A a razor will not touch His head for all of His days. A Nazarite was a vow in and of itself, to be set apart for the Lord. Um, You hear about it in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Paul, the apostle, um, had a Nazarite vow for 30 plus days. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't shave. He was devoted to what God had for him. But this Nazarite vow was for the whole life. And in the Old Testament, multiple times, it spoke to one who would serve God in the temple, who was not a Levite. And that is what she is saying to God. Yes, her prayer was for a child, but it was not for her to find hope in and through Him. It was not that she could rub it in the nose of her accuser. She wanted a kid as an offering to give back to God. You see that point that I seek to make, doing the right thing doesn't mean life is going to be easy. In verses 3-10, through there are a couple of people who are 
not doing the right thing. One is her rival. But a second one that you and I might overlook is even that of her husband. It was tough for for Hannah on multiple fronts. She heard the jabs year after year. Even her husband was coming up and, and and stating that this jab in an undertone, possibly, in a way that hurt psychologically, emotionally. Hannah heard it from her rival. You don't have any kids. Hannah heard it from her husband. Am I not enough? Why don't you find hope in me? Am I not better than ten sons to you? Why don't you rest in the love that I have for you? Husbands, how often do we open our mouths and say something that we don't think it's going to come across this way, but it comes across as a bite as a deterrent to the fellowship and the relationship that we have with our wives. Paul Miller stated this in his book, A Praying Life. Our inability to pray comes from the fall. Evil has marred the image. We want to talk to God, but we can't. The friction of our desire to pray combined with our badly damaged prayer antenna leads to constant frustration. Year after year, I'm sure that Hannah voices this prayer. Year after year, she does not want to go to Shiloh. Year after year, she does not want to go worship. Year after year, there is frustration after frustration. Yet she goes. Doing the right thing doesn't mean life is going to be easy. Church, on the contrary, oftentimes the right thing at first is harder. Sin entices you, entices me. Sin makes it extremely easy at first. Sin brings instant pleasure, brings instant happiness, brings instant ease in doing the right. Though Hard at first, it has the eternal reward. It has the acceptance from the only one that matters, King Jesus. So what do we do? Since I are one, husbands, watch your words. Husbands, watch your facial expressions. It happened to me yesterday, not with Paige, but with Mary Morgan, our 15-year-old. I blurted something out in a conversation, and then I thought, you know what, tomorrow morning you're going to be standing up on the uh, platform, and you're going to be saying something, and I know the conversation that's going to happen afterwards, because my 15-year-old listens. And so I had to... At the end of our little truck ride, I had to say, okay, your mom will take you here. You can do this and you can do that. Words, first blurts out of our mouths, conversations, actions, all need to be looked at because you and I might also be the ones who are bringing hurt, bringing hardship 
on those that we love and we don't even think about it and we don't even know it. Third and finally, pray. Pray. Leave the issue with God. He will act in your best interest. Do you believe that statement? Do you believe that God will act in your best interest? Tuesday night, our uh, lead team met, and um, you know, as as a church, we have been walking through a situation, possibility with church, Fellowship Baptist Church just down the road. And Tuesday night as the guys got together, we prayed. And we've been praying. You've been praying. And so uh, as we were praying Tuesday night, um, our prayer was just this. Lord, make it clear. Before we act, we want it to be clear. Whatever the direction, we want it to be clear. Just, Just make it clear. And we'll act. Wednesday morning, I was doing some work and got a phone call. Actually, I made a phone call to one of the banks that we have been asking um, for some clarity on if they're going to be willing to give us some dollars to purchase that facility. And uh, about 4 o'clock Wednesday afternoon, the uh, lady called me back and she said, Hey, I, I don't want to do this on through an email, so here it is. And she gave me bad news, so she thought. Meaning this, um, hey, there is no way in the world we're going to give you a million dollars. And I said, thank you. She said, what? I said, thank you. Uh, We've asked three banks at this time, we asked three banks at this time to make it clear, or we've asked for um, them to fund this. And uh, she said, what are you talking about? I was like, Last night, we prayed that God would make it clear, and you were helping in that, so thank you. Thursday morning, I am uh, sitting at the computer, and I get a phone call from one of the uh, members and leaders at Fellowship Baptist Church, and the conversation went something like this, verbatim. I said, good morning, stated his name, and he said, Fellowship has decided to go in a different direction. And I said, thank you. And it took him aback. And I said, no, we have been praying for clarity for these steps. And you have just given that. You are an answer to prayer. Thank you. If there's anything that I can do, anything that we can do, please let me know. And he said, okay, thank you for praying. And we hung up. Now, I got off the phone and I sent out a few texts. I made a few phone calls stating those words. And the question that came back almost verbatim was, so what are they doing? And I said, I don't know. It doesn't matter. We asked for God to be clear on this and he answered It is an amazing thing. He, we prayed and he answered. And as Hannah prayed, God granted the prayer. 
You and I in this passage, we don't hear Eli and God speaking, but I am sure that God was speaking to Eli. Eli was not acting in and of himself to walk by anybody that was there in the temple, seeing their mouths move, but no words come out and say, hey, whatever God says, whatever you're asking for, God's granting. Move on. No. Eli and God are speaking. God speaks through Eli to Hannah. He says those words to Hannah, and Hannah praises God. Some of us might look at this passage quickly and I close. Some of us might look at this passage and say, oh, we can bargain with God. She's not bargaining with God. You say, well, she's asking for something. Well, she's his daughter. Don't you go to your dad and ask for things? Can't you go to your dad and ask for things? My daughter comes to me and asks for things all the time. My son asks for things all the time. I go to my parents and ask for things all the time. She's his daughter, God's daughter. She's asking. If it was a bargaining chip, what does she get out of it? Momentarily gets to look at her rival and say, ha ha, God, God blessed. But she says, if you do this, I'm going to give him right back to you. And I'm going to be separated from him for his whole life. He's not going to be around me. He's not going to be able to bring me hope. He's not going to be able to bring me um, money, prosperity. I'm giving him back to you. It's not a bargaining chip in that frame. It's also not a bargaining chip in the sense that um, she is not bringing this before him and saying, God, I will not worship you until you answer my request. I believe it was a bargaining chip with Rachel back in Genesis. But here, she prays. Eli says to her, hey, go your way. God's going to grant it. And what does she do next? She eats. Her face is uplifted. She wakes up early the next morning. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. What do we do in the midst of adversity? What do we do in the midst of trials? How do we respond? I'll give you one more quote. Make a couple of statements of application and we close. In that same book, Paul Miller, A Praying Life, says this. This is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. The welcoming heart of God God also cheers when we come to Him with our wobbling, unsteady prayers. Jesus does not say, come to me all who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander, and I will give you rest. No, Jesus opens His arms to His needy children like you and like me and says, hey Brian, come to me. All who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look at these last two sentences of this quote. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. And He 
will give you rest. I don't know how I'm going to mark this down and how you and I need to have it marked down. But this past week was an awesome week at River Bend Church. It was an awesome week because you and I have prayed and prayed and prayed and God has brought clarity at this time. It is not a moment for us to be sad. It is not a moment for us to to hold our heads down. It is a moment for us to worship our great God. And I believe it is fitting for us to hear a passage of Scripture like this on this day. For He is good. Amen? He has blessed and He has answered prayer after prayer after prayer. And may you and I, just as that last quote stated, may we come messy, may we come weary, may we come hurting and know that He answers. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we thank You. Father, the song that uh, has been on my lips all week long has been, I want to see Jesus lifted high. Father, You know the words to, to the verses. Part of that is this, I see the part and not the whole. But God, I am so thankful that You see the whole and not just the part that is right here at this very moment. God, I'm so thankful. So thankful that at this time, Father, we have asked and You have responded. Thank You. God, we want to lift high Your name. Father, we want because of who You are, because of all that You've done for us. We worship You. Father, I pray for the men in the room. I pray for the women in the room. Father, some of us are going through the midst of a huge trial. God, we have a rival who is just giving it to us left and right right now. God, may we respond. May we seek You and may You answer. Father, for some of us in the room, it's fine at the moment. God, I pray that You would put this on some unused brain cells. For six weeks from now, for six months from now, when this very thing is happening in our lives, may we respond to you. And may you answer in your faithfulness as you always do, in your love as your character states you are. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, thank You for taking our place on the cross, for dying for us, for paying our sin debt so that we might be with You forever. 
God, we love you. Father, we worship you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live simple.